So listen, friends, this is, a, this is why we're here. Don't forget why we're here. We're here to reach people with the gospel. And whether it's a, bo- a little boy or a little girl, or whether it's someone you work with or someone you know, people need the good news of Jesus. Please take your Bibles this morning and turn to Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter 3 this morning. We're several weeks into this new series. It's really not new anymore, I guess. Um, Good news for a broken world as we study verse by verse through the book of Romans. And I hope that you're getting from it everything the Lord would have you to get from it. And uh, I'd encourage you, if you missed any of the messages, to go back and catch up. As we went through chapter 2 for the last couple of weeks, we looked at some really important themes. We found that there is gospel freedom that comes through Christ. Then we looked last week at uh, gospel identity, that there's a lot of false identities in the world, people basing their lives on false security and false ideas about who they are. But it's only in Christ, it's only in Jesus that we can have a sure identity. So as we think about this good news and we come to chapter 3, if we get to, if we just notice in the introduction in your notes this morning, the idea that we want to speak about today is this. If we've looked at gospel freedom, we've looked at gospel certainty, I mean, I'm sorry, gospel identity, and today we're going to look at gospel certainty. If I said to you, what are you certain of? What are you sure of? Without a shadow of a doubt, what are you positively, absolutely, 100% certain about? You've probably heard the line over and over again, there's only two things that are certain in this world, and those are death and taxes. Boy, I just brought the room down, you know, how about that? Yeah, if you're in the medical field, right? So, only two things certain in the world. Listen, the world is filled with uncertainty, isn't it? I mean, it really is. And the more, the older that you get, the more you progress in life. When you're a child, and it really depends, of course, on your upbringing, I guess, but if you had a, like I did, I really had what some people would call a privileged childhood. I mean, I had a good family, I had a good education, and, and I thank the Lord for that. I really do. And my parents are in the room, and they're like, that's right, we gave him a privileged child. Anyway. <laughs> it's important to, re- to understand, though, that not everybody had the experience that you had, right? But for those like myself, as you go through life, you, when, when you're a kid, things, are, things seem pretty certain to you, don't they? I mean, they seem pretty certain. And then for some, it's, it's younger, and for some, it's older. But at some point, that certainty and that confidence you have begins to just get shaken. Things that you thought you could count on, things that you thought were, were, were not going to let you down, people that you counted on, they let you down. There's uncertainty in the world. Now, most people just go through life and they try to not think about that, right? They just say, well, if I, if I hear no evil, see no evil, you know, if I just bury my head in the sand, I focus on what I can focus on, I'll try to make my life a little bit better, I will, uh, I'll, I'll try to make a little more money, try to have a little bit better family, try to do all those things. However, none of those bring any more certainty into life, do they? There's still that there's still that in the back of the mind, well, what if things don't turn out? Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that it is through the Word of God and it is through faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is part of the message of good news that even in a broken and an uncertain world, Jesus is the certainty, he is the confidence that our souls crave and our souls long for. It's found in Christ. And Romans chapter 3 is going to teach us some things this morning that show us how God provides this certainty for us and show us why we can be confident. Now, it's going to take us through some lows and some highs. We're going to see some things in Romans chapter 3 that don't seem like good news. But if you wait until the whole picture is painted, what you're going to see is that as bleak as the world is and as bleak as our condition is, there's hope at the end. There's certainty in Christ. So, that's my introduction. Let's look at the text this morning. We're going to move verse by verse through this. So if you want to follow along in the notes, go ahead and open up to the first inside page. And now follow along with me in Romans chapter number 3. Romans chapter 3, it begins with an interesting question. And the first point I want to give you is this. God's plan is certain. Now, some of you don't like to do this, and that's okay, I get it. But if you're willing, would you repeat that line with me this morning? Ready? God's plan is certain. It is what? God's plan is certain. God's plan is certain. Let's see what I mean by that. We pick up in the middle of Paul's conversation, and he asks this question in verse number one. What advantage then hath the Jew? I'm like, okay, this is an interesting place to begin well, you've got to understand, if you followed along in the previous chapters in the book of Romans, you find that there's this, there's this uh, opposing concepts being set up. Well, one group of people is like, well, our identity is that we're Jewish people. And this other group is, well, we're Gentile people. And Paul takes the last chapter we saw last week. Paul says, listen, your identity is not about being a Jew and a law follower. Your identity is not about being a, a Gentile or a Roman citizen. None of that. And so Paul just go ahead, goes ahead and provides the, the, the question for those that might be asking. There might be some Jewish person that says this question. They say, well, then, What's the point in being a Jew? What's the point in being part of the chosen people of God? I mean, the whole Old Testament, I try to do this pretty quickly here, but this, this whole part of the Bible, the big part, the fat part, right? From here, it's all about the Jewish people, right? And this little skinny part is about the church. So somebody could ask the question, well, well what, what's the point then? If Paul, if you're saying it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, then what's the point? What advantage does the Jew, would the Jew have? What's the point of it all? And Paul starts to explain some things about how God used the Jewish people to bring about his eternal plan. This is amazing. We're getting a peek at the, the, the entire plan of mankind from beginning to end. The book of Romans gives us that. So the first thing we see here in God's plan is certain is that God had a people. And then my little illustration just made me lose my place. So you got to go find the book of Romans again. Get there, getting there, getting there. So here we go. He says this then. Let's read a little bit more. Or what profit is there of circumcision? So what's the, what's the point? Well, Paul answers in verse number two very clearly. And he says this. Read verse number two, the first part. What's Paul's answer? He says... He says what? He says, 
there you go, much, every way. He said, what's the advantage then? And Paul says, listen, the Jewish people, there is a huge advantage because they were the people of God. They were God's people. And notice what he says next. They chiefly, in other words, the main advantage is this, unto them, unto them were committed, were given possession of the oracles of God. That's a cool phrase right there, I think. The oracles of God. What is an oracle? It's a sacred message. It's a holy word. It's a divine saying. So when we talk about the holy oracles that the people of God received, what are those holy oracles? What are we talking about? Go ahead, some of you can say it. What are we talking about? We're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the Word of God. We're talking about the law of God. We're talking about that Old Testament. That Old Testament that told us that Jesus was coming. That told us that there was hope for a dark world. The prophets and the law and all that was written in the, in the 4,000 years before Jesus came. Who were the guardians of the oracles of God? Who were they? It was the, the Jewish people. The Jews, they were the guardians of the sacred sayings. They were the guardians of the holy text. They were given the word of God. Now, were they given the word of God just for themselves? No. If you study this thicker part of the Bible back here, you'll find that they were supposed to be a light for who? The whole world. A light for the Gentiles. Now, they didn't always do such a good job with that. But part of God's plan was having a people, and part of God's plan was giving those people his what? He had a people, and he gave them his, his word. He had a people, and he gave them his word. This has been God's plan. It's a certain plan. So God's people, God's word, and now notice this, God's calling. God's plan has always been to have a people, to have the word, and then to have a calling. So here's what happens. Read on with me. Verse number 3. For what if some did not believe? It's like, well, they didn't all believe. Do all people believe today? All people haven't always believed. But what if some shall, not, shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? In other words, they says this, well, well, Paul, you're giving this message about the gospel. You're giving this message about Jesus, and, and they don't all believe. And Paul says, listen, does the fact that some people reject, does the fact that some people deny, does the fact that some people doubt, does any of that discredit the truth and the power of the Word of God? And the answer is in the emphatic verse number four, the first two lines in verse number four, say them with me, begin, God forbid. He says, absolutely not. You know why? Because God calls people to himself. The Word of God God has a people, and God has a word, and God takes his word, and he gets his word out into the whole world. And some people hear that call of God, and they respond, and they say, yes, I believe. And other people hear that call of God, and they say, no, I reject. The question isn't, there's no problem with the one who's calling. The problem is with the one who's willing or not willing to receive. This has been the plan of God forever. We are just, I mean, just think about human history. 
We tend to be very self-centered in our view of the world, right? In, in all of history, like this is our moment. This is our time. And there's a lot of truth to that. But the fact is, you and I, friends, we are just the next stage. We're just the, the, the next chapter, or maybe even not a chapter. Maybe we are the next page in God's story for humanity. And on yesterday's page, many people believed and many people rejected. And in today's page, many people will believe and many people will reject. But the same God is calling on every page of history. And the same God has given his word throughout every page of history. And the same God, the same God has always had a people in every generation. That's the plan of God. And you can be certain of his plan. Nothing has ever thwarted his plan. Nothing ever can and nothing ever will overcome the Lord our God. God's word, God's calling, and then I love this part about the certainty of his plan, God's promise. God's promise. Look at this. We come to verse number, still in verse number four, God forbid, yea, go ahead, read this with me. This is such a, a great, a great verse. Ready? God forbid, yea, let God be true. Say that again. Let God be true but every man a liar. I won't make you say that one out loud, right? Because that one hits kind of home. He says, he says, listen, let God be true. And whatever people say, whenever people oppose, do you want to align yourself with the creator of the universe who cannot lie? Or do you want to align yourself with some professor who makes $120,000 a year? I'll take the creator. I'll take the king of kings. I'll take the lawgiver. I'll take the eternal one every time. Will you take the king of kings or will you take some governor somewhere, some Supreme Court justice who says, this is the way the world is now? I'll, I'll, I'll side with the one who is true and the one who is eternal. And you can mark it down. You can be certain of it. You can be certain. You can't be certain of a lot of things in this life. But you can be certain that God has a plan and that God's plan will come to pass and you and I get to have a part in it. Let's move on. So God's plan is certain, but sometimes our understanding can become confused. Did you catch that? God's plan is certain, but sometimes people's understanding of God's plan can get a little confused. Have you noticed people have a lot of different ideas about what God is like? People have a lot of different ideas about how they think God should be. A lot of different ideas and a lot of different theories and all of that. By the way, that's why you should immerse yourself in Bible reading. You should immerse yourself in Bible teaching and Bible preaching. You should let God speak for himself instead of letting someone else speak for him. Somebody put up these billboards maybe 10 or 12 years ago. And God, it's... it's it was a picture of the Bible. And can you imagine getting to the end of your life, getting to eternity, and God saying, I gave you a book. I gave you 70 years to read it, and you never did. He reveals his plan to us. But our understanding can get confused. So Paul addresses this. Move on to verse number 5. Let's see the confusion in verse 5. But... If our unrighteousness 
demonstrates, the word here is commend, it means to demonstrate. If our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Now, this is a theme in Paul's writing you're going to see a lot. You're like, I don't quite understand that. Well, just think about it for a minute. We are, according to this verse, we are what? Yep. According to this verse, we are what? Unrighteous. According to that verse, we are unrighteous. But he says, our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God. You've got you to gotta follow the teaching in the previous chapters. In the previous chapters, he told us that God wants to just give unrighteous people his righteousness. You understand that? That God says, you are unrighteous, but I will do what? I will give you my unrighteousness. So people have looked at that and they've said they've misunderstood grace. And they say, well then, well, well then what shall we say? Now let's read, the whole, let's read the whole section. So is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. In other words, Paul says, I'm just, I'm just, this is just for sake of argument. Verse number six, God forbid. For then how shall God judge the world? A little more explanation in verse 7. For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie, he's, he's speaking here hypothetically, if I were to tell a lie and me being revealed as a liar shows God as even more truthful, then why am I judged as a sinner? Do you understand? It's people questioning the character of God, the justice of God, how God works. He says this, well, the question is, Later on in chapter 5 or 6, he says this, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, if God, if by us being sinful, we see how much more righteous God is, then Paul would say, then why should we be judged? Then why are we really responsible? How many of you have ever heard somebody say this? Well, how many of you have ever heard somebody say this? Well, if God made me and God made me this way, then why would he judge me? Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Like, if God, is, if God is, has created me, then this is just the way that I am. Well, the fact is this. Paul affirms both God's sovereignty and human responsibility. So, in other words, God has created me with a free will. I am born in this world a sinner, but then I also make the free will choice to do wrong. And there's these misunderstandings people have. And we could unpack that a little bit more Carefully, it's, a, it's, it's kind of a deep passage, but if you've got questions on it, we can look at it more carefully a little bit later. But the point is here, the point that I want to make in this message is this. People's understanding gets confused sometimes. They look at the message of the Bible, and rather than embrace it and say, God, teach me, they challenge, and they, and they, give, uh, they give opposition. And it's not fair-minded questioning. It's attacks and skepticism, and, and there's confusion that abounds out there. In fact, people were even slandering Paul in verse number 8. And not rather as we be slanderously reported and as some affirm we say. In other words, Paul says, people are saying that I'm telling you to do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. The simple point Paul is transitioning to is this. Regardless of what people say, God's truth and God's justice is sure. Now let's move on to the next section. Let's move on to verse number 9. Verse number 9 now, so we've seen God's plan. He's got a people, he's got the word, he calls men and women, and he is true. People question and people get confused, but now Paul wants to give us some clarity. He wants to give us some gospel certainty. So the third major focus this morning is this, God's justice is certain. 
And all of the things that you can be uncertain about, you can be certain of God's sense of justice. Look with me now at verse number 9. What then? Are we better than they? No. No. In no wise. For we have before. He's like, I already proved this in the previous sections, that both Jews and Gentiles, that they are all, what does it say? All under sin. You see, before the perfect, righteous justice of God, we all have equal standing. Doesn't matter your, your nationality. Doesn't matter your religion. It doesn't matter where you were born, what your parents did. Does, none of that matters. He says, Paul says this, listen, that all people, we have proved from the word of God, and you had to look at chapter 1 and chapter 2 to see this. Paul said, we proved that both Jews and Gentiles, as you think about justice and you think about fairness, people ask the question, well, I'd like, I just want things to be fair. The problem is, if life, if God gave us what was fair, we would all be under his judgment because we are all equal under sin. We are all equal under the law. And I think that, that, that preposition is important, the idea of being under. He says they are all under sin. They are all under the power of, under the control of. And in thinking about the justice of God, we all have equal standing. Next, notice this, we all have equal guilt. Read on with me. He says in verse number 10, as it is written. Now, in verses 10 through verse number 17, Paul gets a little rough on us. He's pretty hard. Look what he says. And it's not Paul, it's God speaking through him. You, you know that. As it is written. There is, what's the word? None. It doesn't say one. It doesn't say a few. It says there is none righteous. But what, what do you mean by that, Paul? I mean, no, not one. We're all guilty. None righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. See all the nuns in here? They, verse number 12, they are, what's the word? All. Every single one has gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. You see, he's not leaving any room for ambiguity. He's leaving no room for, for questioning. He stated again and again that the certain state of humanity, the certain and sure condition of all men and women is that we are guilty. We're guilty before God. And we've spoken about this in light of the gospel. Search your heart. Search your heart. You might say, well, I'm a pretty good person. Well, the word of God the truth of God says, no, friend, you are not. I could say, I'm a pretty good person. And God would say, well, what if I took all of your actions and all of your thoughts? Let's just focus. I said this last week. What if we took all of your thoughts from the last week and we put them up on the screen for everyone to see? 
I wouldn't want that. Would you? You probably wouldn't have me come back next week. But I probably wouldn't want to see you here next week either. You've heard it many times probably, or maybe not. From the time we're young, no one has to sit us down and teach us how to do wrong things. In fact, almost all of our parenting is focused on training our children to not do the wrong thing, but rather to do what is right. Why is that? He says it right here. He's unfolding it. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Pretty strong language, isn't it? It gets stronger. It gets stronger. Buckle your seatbelt for verse number 13. Good job, Donnie. You look, you're buckled in. Verse 13. I was asking for that one, wasn't I? He's like, click. Verse 13. Their throat is an open sepulcher. Please don't let the King James English, you know, throw you on this. What he just said is, what comes out of their mouth is like an open grave. That's how he describes us. You're like, man, I thought I was coming to church, to, you know, to get like lifted up, you know? And Paul is like, Paul needs a little help again on this, you know, how to win friends and influence people. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go, you know, I wouldn't recommend that line to be used all the time. You know what's wrong with you? You sound like a stinking grave. But let's let that, I say the humor just to recap, I use the humor just to recapture our attention. The fact is this, as Paul describes the guilt of humanity, we like to kind of joke about it a little bit, don't we? We like to say, oh, well, I wouldn't want you to know what I was thinking. You wouldn't want to know what I was thinking. But listen, the truth of it is so much more severe. The truth of it is so much more horrible because Jesus said, in the book of Matthew, that it is from within, from the heart, and what he meant was the hearts and the thoughts of man, from those evil thoughts come all kinds of wicked actions and wicked behaviors. When we talk about this, Paul says, you can be certain of this. You can be certain that the condition of mankind is awful. With Their, their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues, they, they are a bunch of liars. In fact, everything they say is poisonous, like getting bit by a venomous snake. Wow. This is, this is tough stuff. Verse 14, their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Now there's a progression. From the, from the heart comes the mouth, then the hands and the feet. Verse 15. Their feet are swift to shed blood. What is wrong with the world? Why is there crime? Why is there evil? Why is all this? Jesus said it is because it doesn't come from the outside. It comes from where? It comes from within. It starts in our hearts. And, and friends, you may not, this is an uncomfortable statement, but the fact is this. Every single person is capable of every type of evil imaginable. The fact is, God in His grace has given us restraints on our behavior. He's given us a conscience. He's given us a legal system. He's given us social pressure. He's given us reasons that we would say, you know what? 
I'm not going to just behave however I want, because if I behave however I want, I'll end up ostracized, in jail, in poverty, etc. But mark it down. If not for those restraining influences that God has put in the world, every single person would be capable of the most terrible evil. That is why you see in societies where the, where the law changes, I'll give you the most common example in our recent his, historical memory. How did the people of Germany in the, tw- in the early 20th century become convinced to do such horrible things to the Jewish and other minority people around them? Were they any different than any other people that have ever lived? No, what was happened was somebody convinced them that the restraints could be removed. And we saw unrestrained evil. When I was a kid, there was the genocide in Rwanda. How did that happen? Are those people any different than any other people in the world? No, but some, somehow they were convinced that the social pressure and the legal pressure was taken off and they could behave however they wanted. And when men and women behave with the natural impulses of their lives, nothing but evil comes from it. And God's justice is certain. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 16. He's not done. Destruction and misery are in their ways. You say, "I, I just don't like reading all this stuff. You know why... Do you know why this actually encourages me? You're like, you're kind of weird if this encourages you. Do you know why it, it, it encourages me? Because there's no other explanation that so well makes sense of the world around us. It just makes sense. It's like, oh, that's why the world is so broken. It's our fault. You go to any other religious concept, you go to any other worldview, and you find, a, I, I challenge you to find a better explanation of why the world is in the condition it's in. Verse 17, the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Equal standing, equal guilt, equal depravity, and I want you to see this now. And there's equal helplessness. We're all helpless. Verse 19. Now, we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. You say, well, what is the point of the law of God? What is the point of the Ten Commandments? What is the point of explaining righteousness? Because as we look at the law of God, it reveals to us what? Our sin, our guilt. And this is a powerful statement in the middle of this verse. In the middle of the verse, that every mouth may be what? What is the picture here? Have you ever seen someone make excuses? Of course you have. Have you ever seen someone make pitiful excuses? Look at what happened. Yeah, but I, yeah, but you, yeah, but they, yeah, but he, yeah, but she. In fact, if you know the Bible, 
you go back to the Garden of Eden. And when God says, what have you done? Adam says, yeah, but she. And when God says to her, but what did you do? God said, Eve said, yeah, but that, that serpent. There's a yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And it's just, it's, it's, what do you want to do? If your child comes to you and they did not do what they were supposed to do, clearly. And they said, they said, yeah, but I didn't have time. Yeah, but I couldn't do this. Yeah, but I did. All you want them to do at that moment is what? Stop talking. Just stop talking and take some what? Some of you said it. Go ahead. Stop talking and take some responsibility. The message of the law, this harsh message, this harsh and hard but true message for all of us is so that all of humanity looking at God, yeah, but God, this is the way I am. Yeah, but God, this is the way I feel. Yeah, but God, my parents. Yeah, but God, my society. Yeah, but God, I didn't have an education. But God, I was poor. But God, this. But God, this. But God, that. But God says, just stop, close your mouth, listen, and take responsibility. That every mouth may be stopped and that all the world may become guilty before God. Now look at the helplessness. Verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, could we just think of it this way? By doing good things, by being religious, by trying to follow the rules, by doing good things, by the deeds of the law, there is not one single person who could ever be what? Justified. If you're taking notes, circle that word justified. Circle that word justified and just right next to it, made righteous. There's not a single person in the world that could do enough good things to overcome everything that was described in the previous verse. Nobody. I've asked people this question as I was, have been witnessing before. If you stand before God and you say, oh, and God says, why should I let you into heaven? How many of you ever heard that concept before in evangelism? If you stood before God today and he said, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? Well, some people might say, well, I, I went to church every Sunday. I gave some money. I received communion. I was baptized. I tried to be a good person. I helped old ladies across the street. And they have their big list. Or they're hoping for that scale. I can imagine, and, and this is a hypothetical. I don't think it's going to, God knows all, so it's not going to work this way, but follow the hypothetical with me. And I can imagine the voice coming back this. Okay, but what about your sin? All of those things aside, great. Good that you did these good things, but what about this column over here of all your sin? Well, I thought this would kind of outweigh that over there. You try that in a court in the American justice system. You stand, on the, you stand trial for murder, and you try to tell the judge, but judge, I give money to my church every week. I volunteer at the soup kitchen. I, I'm a really nice person to my neighbors. I've never stolen. What does that have anything to do with the crime that that person is on trial for? Nothing at all. 
Mark it down. God's justice is certain. And the point of this passage is for every mouth to just be stopped. We come to verse number 21, and it opens a new paragraph with these two glorious words of transition. And those words are this, but now. And in that statement, but now, if, you, if we could do this cinematically, I'd see what goes on in my mind is just destruction, the world in trouble, people doing evil, and all of a sudden this, this, this cut just flashes, scene after scene after scene, and it's a manger, and it's, a, and it's miracles, and it's a cross, and it's an empty tomb, and all of that flashes by in just those two little words, but now, because in that but now is Jesus. In that but now is the glory of the good news. In that statement is the fact that despite the fact that God's justice is certain, but now God's salvation is certain. That there is hope. There is a remedy. And the remedy is not within me. The remedy is not within you. As you know, the remedy is in faith in Jesus. So you read in verse number 21 these amazing words, but now the righteousness of God, read the next three with me, the righteousness of God, what? Without the law. Apart from the law. You don't need the law. The law is good. The law is a help. But if you want to be forgiven, if you want the righteousness that God can give you, but now because of Jesus, you have free righteousness. God will, take, God will take the perfection of Jesus and He will give it supernaturally to you and He will give it to me. We have righteousness of the righteousness of God without the law. It's manifested. It's been made clear. It's been shown to us in Jesus and it was witnessed in all of the Old Testament. Read on. We have this free righteousness. We have Jesus. Look what it says. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. Unto who? Wait a minute. Where did we see this before? They are all guilty. There is none righteous. We saw verse after verse about how all all are guilty. None are righteous. Everyone's, everyone's got to be quiet. But now, this free righteousness, this free gift of Jesus is offered to the same group. And that group includes you and that group includes me because it is available to all. All who are able and willing to do what? All who will believe. Everyone who will simply believe on the name and the work of Jesus, for there is no difference. Verse 23, verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but they are, verse 24, or can be being justified, how? Freely. Remember you circled that word justified earlier? What does it mean? It means to be made righteous, 
We are made righteous how? Freely. Freely through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Do you know what can happen, though, in our lives? We can all begin to forget that. We can all begin to forget. There was a, listen, if you're a true Christian, there was a time in your life where you received the free gift, the free gift of forgiveness and redemption through Christ. If you've never done that, you can receive that free gift today. But what happens is if we're not careful, we forget that our standing now is entirely because of what Jesus did. And we can begin to be impressed with how good we've become. Has anybody ever been guilty of that? You forget that, that you are, as the song says, just a sinner saved by grace. And we go back to the default, which is, oh, I'm good. I, I have earned. I've attained. I've done this. No, it's entirely by grace through faith. And my favorite, my favorite example of that, if you remember, we've been trying to link this book of Romans to some of the stories of Jesus' encounters. I'm not going to turn to the passage, just going to tell the story to finish. On the day that Jesus died, on the day that Jesus died, think about the scene, you might remember it. But there was not only one cross that day. How many crosses were there? Three crosses. On the one side, on the middle was Jesus. On the one side was a thief. On the other side was another thief. And as the crucifixion began, both, you study the, you study the story, as the crucifixion began, and as they all hung there dying together on, a, on an ugly hillside called Golgotha or Calvary, as they all hung there dying, both of those thieves began to curse at Jesus. Both of those thieves began to say all kinds of nasty and ugly things to him. But something began to change as the day went on. And of those two thieves, the one continued to curse and, and mock Jesus. But something changed on that other third cross. Something changed in the heart of that other thief. And as he watched Jesus die and as he heard the words and as he heard everything happening, God began to speak to that ugly and dirty, rotten sinner's heart. And God began to speak to his heart. And as he heard the swearing, he finally had to say to that other thief, Stop! Stop! We deserve to be on this cross. But this man, he couldn't even, he, he, he literally could do nothing. His hands and feet are nailed. He said, we deserve to die here, but this man has done nothing. Jesus hadn't, to, to our knowledge, Jesus hadn't even said anything to him. And he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, he says two words, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He says, Jesus, would you remember me? And I don't know if Jesus could even turn completely, but he, but he says to him, 
today. Today, you will be with me in paradise. No baptism. No time to make amends for all the wrongs that he'd done. But he did have, the, he did have that realization, as we read about, that every mouth would be what? Stopped. And he says, I won't curse him anymore. I'm guilty. But Jesus, do you think you could remember me? In that moment, Jesus said, in that moment, he received what we've just been studying. It puts flesh and blood to a theological concept. In that moment, friends, he received free righteousness. Totally and completely undeserved. The great pastor, one of my favorite pastors and authors, Pastor Alistair Begg described it this way. He's got a good, good story. He says he can just imagine when that guy got to heaven, that thief got to heaven. And he gets there, and it's almost as if everybody's, you know, the, the guy that's, it's imaginative, so just stick with me. He's a little confused, and, and the guy that, you know, the guy that keeps the gate at heaven, he's like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? I'd better go check the record book. I don't see anything that you've done. You never went to, you weren't faithful to synagogue. You did, I mean, I see nothing but bad here. What are you doing here? And the thief is, I don't know. And Alistair says it this way. He says, he can just imagine that thief says this. I don't know. But the man on the middle cross said that I could come. The man in the middle said that I could come. And friends, if you and I stand in heaven, when you and I stand in heaven, and if the question were asked, what are you doing here? The, question, the answer is never, as, as he says in the sermon, the answer is never in the first person. Well, I did this. Well, I had enough faith. Well, I believed. Well, I prayed. Well, I, 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 I. No, he says the, the answer is always in the third person. It is not me. It is not I. It is him. It is because of Jesus. And when before the throne, I stand in him complete. Jesus died. My soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Have you ever received the free gift of eternal life through Jesus? If you never had, you need to get to a thief on the cross moment today. You need to have a moment today where you say, nothing in my hands I bring. There's nothing I have to offer. It's only the cross of Jesus. It's only the blood of Jesus. My faith is in him and him alone. And that is something you can be certain of. That is the only certainty in an uncertain world that Jesus died for you and through him alone you can be forgiven. Would you receive Christ? And if you have received Christ, never forget, because we have this habit of transferring from the third person to the first person. It used to be all about Jesus, 
but now it's become all about me. Let's get back to the cross. We all need the good news of the gospel. Christians, we need to preach that good news to ourselves. Would you please bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes as we have a time of reflection, a time of prayer, and a time to invite you and me to respond to God's Word. So I have two questions for you. If you just stay focused for just a, another minute longer and think about these two questions. First question is this. Have you ever received Jesus Christ as your Savior? Has there been a time in your life, whether you're in the room or you're watching this message or listening to it, has there been a time in your life where you receive Christ? If not, I want to invite you to do it right now. Wherever you are, would you just pray to Jesus and say this, Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I've broken your law. But I do believe that you died and rose again for me. And I ask you to save me. That's putting your faith in Christ. That's called being saved. Would you make that decision today? Right now. You say, Ethan, I still have some questions. Well, let me know. Come, send me a message or come talk with me after church today. Say, I have questions about that. I'd love to take the Bible and show you how you can be certain that heaven is your home. Then the second question is for believers. Has your Christian faith become more about you than about the cross? Do you need to preach the gospel to yourself again? Would you just take a moment now, as the instruments softly play, would you just take a moment to just rededicate, repurpose, redirect your heart to the Lord. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning. I pray that your cross and your forgiveness would not be just words on a page, but that they would that we would see the reality of it. I pray God that our hearts would be turned completely to you. I pray that as we sing this song that we would sing from redeemed hearts, grateful voices, Lord, just praising you for all you've done and for all you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We are so glad that you've taken the time to join us today. If you've been blessed by the message, if you've placed your faith in Jesus today, we want to hear from you. Maybe you still have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Please let us know. And we would love to answer those questions from the Bible. We would also be happy to provide you with the Bible and other free Christian resources to help you grow in your faith. You can email us at info at mountgraylockbaptist.com or send us a message on Facebook. You can also call us at 413-662-2107. We would love to hear from you and our desire is to be a blessing to you in any way that we can. God bless.